This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Stefan Raymond and Heike Dorsch decided to leave the trappings of their traditional life in order to explore the world and to delve into cultures they would come across in their travels. They were nearing the end of a three-year sailing trip, which had taken them around the world, when they decided to stop at the inviting Marquesas Island of Nukuhiva. They enjoyed their time there and had made a mental list of things they wanted to complete while visiting the island. It was one of the items on this simple list that ultimately led to Stefan's death, Heike's rape, and allegations of cannibalism. Welcome to Twisted Travel on True Crime, and thank you so much for listening. If you are a regular listener, thanks for coming back, and if you are new, welcome. My name is Sandy, and I am your host. I live aboard a sailboat with my family at the moment, and we are exploring several of the islands and keys of the Bahamas. There are over 700 islands and 2,400 keys, most of which are uninhabited. That's only important to know if you came across this podcast on social media this week. You may have seen the post about the bones found on the beach. At this time, there's been no word from the Bohemian Defense Force. The belief is that the remains were from a refugee who may have been trying to make his or her way here or to the U.S. and unfortunately died. Sadly, it is and was quite common as people from countries such as Haiti and Cuba choose to leave their homeland in an attempt to find a better life. Many times they travel over in crowded boats or any floating object and hope to drift to their salvation. Not all of them make it either dying in the boat on the way or drowning due to rough seas. This is likely the case with the bones in the video clip. Okay, closing the hatch on that matter, let me share with you the following case. Stefan Raymond and Heike Dorsch had been sailing around the world for three years when they arrived at the island of Nukuhiva. It's the largest of the Marquesas Islands in French Polynesia. The Marquesas Islands are some of the world's most remote islands. They're about 3,000 miles from the west coast of Mexico, which is the nearest continental landmass. In 2001, the island of Nukuhiva was used as a filming location for the fourth season of the reality TV show Survivor. This island is sparsely populated, even though it's very large. The terrain looks mountainous. It contains very tall basalt cliffs pounded by crashing waves and deep gorgeous bays lined with shimmering beaches, tall waterfalls, and lush green valleys. Teohe, which I'm sure I mispronounced as long as well as many words in this podcast, it has a large ocean bay bobbing with sailboats. It's also scattered with tattooed locals who ride through town on horseback. It is the capital of the Marquesas. These Polynesian islands have a bit of an unsavory history. They are known for cannibalism. 
The word cannibalism comes from cannibalis, which is the Spanish name for the Carib people, a tribe in the West Indies known for chewing the flesh of their enemies to take on their bravery. In the Marquesas, human meat was called the long pig, as they stated the meat tasted similar to pork. Historically, it was considered a triumph among Marquesans to eat the body of a dead man. When they captured a person, they treated their captives very cruelly. They would break their legs to prevent them from escaping, and would also break their arms so they couldn't struggle. Sometimes, they would pierce their captives' lungs so they couldn't cry out. They were then impaled and roasted over a fire. Marquesas have changed favorably in the many years since these times. The Europeans unfortunately brought disease, which brought the population from a thriving 48,000 down to less than 10,000 when this tale takes place. They also brought with them Christianity, which is the predominant religion at this time. Let's begin in August of 2011. Stefan and Heike, who had been together for 17 years, were sailing from the Galapagos Islands to French Polynesia. Stefan was a former management consultant, and Heike was a yoga teacher with a master's degree in business development. They gave up their busy lives in Germany and set sail. On this particular day, in this particular harbor, the sky was cloudless and the couple sunbathed at the front of their catamaran named Baju. They were very happy as they had made their longest and smoothest ocean crossing in more than three years of sailing around the world. The South Pacific was kind to them, unlike the Mediterranean. There were no pirates, unlike the Caribbean. The Baju had a device that was supposed to send an alarm whenever another boat got within 30 nautical miles of them, but during the entire passage it had never gone off. It was the 17th day aboard the boat. Suddenly, Heike heard Stefan shout, Over there, land! Fatu Hiva began to rise from the ocean. Eventually, they were able to see waves crashing into the beaches. They could see the basalt cliffs shrouded in mist. They climbed thousands of feet into the sky. Heike couldn't help but think she and Stefan had found Eden. A photo was taken soon after their arrival, and it showed the couple smiling side by side. They both had wind-blown, sun-bleached hair. Heike was 37 and Stefan was 40 years old. They both were very happy, healthy, lean and muscular, but most of all, they just seemed completely happy. The Marquesas aren't hot spots for tourists. The 15 mountain islands are home to less than 10,000 residents. They don't have a lot of resorts or the appealing turquoise blue color of the water like the Caribbean. But these two adventurers weren't looking for things like this. They pursued a vision of paradise that involved people. They liked to consider themselves travelers rather than tourists. They enjoyed contact with locals. They liked to meet people, get to know them, and break down the wall that stands between locals and tourists. Simply to become friends hoping to absorb some of the true culture of the various locations they visited. While there, Heike and Stefan did what they said they were going to do. They went spearfishing, played volleyball, and had beach bonfires with the islanders. They participated in drumming and were invited to home-cooked meals. 
They were so happy to have chosen traveling the world by boat so they could experience things just like this. They ended up staying for six weeks, which is twice as long as they originally planned to. On what was supposed to be their second to last day, they sailed to Haikatea, which is on Horseshoe Bay. They dropped anchor with no other boats or people inside the bay, just a beautiful palm-lined strip of lonely beach. From the boat they could see a trail at the edge of the beach. They took their dinghy to shore and they hiked west to cut across a narrow peninsula. A short time later they reached the small head settlement containing a half dozen houses with pastel plywood walls and corrugated metal roofs. Beautiful curtains fluttered in and out of the windows, gently with the breeze. When they arrived, the few homes appeared deserted, but as they walked through, they were able to see a man standing next to a horse in the middle of a dirt road. The man was built like a football player. He was very thick, strong, tattooed, and tall. He was more than six feet tall, but so were most of the Marquesan men they had met. Heike said he looked a lot like a normal local man. In the early 19th century, Edward Roberts wrote that the islands of the Marquesas would, quote, entice you from your boat with their young women who would lead you from the beach into the bush. There you'll get murdered and the boat becomes theirs. At this time in history, the Marquesan warriors were feared for being some of the most ravenous cannibals in the South Pacific. Historians agree that cannibalism was a rare form of ceremonial human sacrifice in the Marquesas, and that it had died out completely by the 20th century. Heike and Stefan knew this. Like all travelers, they loved the idea of the unfamiliar, the exciting possibilities that we all find when searching places we'd like to go. When dreaming of a vacation or a new destination, we all imagine everything going perfectly. A perfect beach, a perfect cold drink, and a meal that can't be beat. Maybe even a perfect person to spend time with. However, the reality is often a bit disheartening. The next day, the couple went for a long hike to one of the island's waterfalls, which fell more than a thousand feet from the top of the deep-sided valley. On their return to the boat, they came across the same man they had seen the day before, Arihano. They greeted him, and Stefan brought up that he had one more thing he'd wanted to complete while in the Marquesas. He had tried twice before and had failed, so he asked Arihano for a chance to go on a goat hunt, which was a traditional island pastime. Arihano agreed but when Stefan asked if he should bring his gun along, Arihano said that wouldn't be necessary. A couple hours later, Arihano called to them from the beach. Stefan rode his dinghy to shore, and they set off for their hike. Heike watched the men walk into the jungle and disappear into the trees. The hike that Stefan and Heike had hiked earlier that day had taken four hours, which would normally tire any of us out, but not Stefan. He felt that he should take every opportunity he could. Always energetic, he never passed up an adventure. His favorite expression was, quote, you can sleep when you're dead. Heike waited at the boat patiently, sipping her coffee. Minutes turned into hours, and she began to worry. At 6 p.m., Heike finally heard a voice coming from the darkness. 
It was Arihano in the dinghy, and he was alone. He was calling her name. He was able to communicate enough through his broken English to let her know that Stefan was injured by an accident in the forest. She jumped into the dinghy, finally reached the beach, and rushed into the forest. Arihana led the way. After about 15 minutes, Heike began to panic. The path seemed to disappear. She was looking desperately at Arihano and asked, Where is Stefan? His response was that he couldn't remember. Of course, very upset, she says, What do you mean you don't remember? You idiot, how could that be? She decided that she was going to run and get help, so she turned and ran back towards the path, shouting for Stefan. There was no answer from the dark forest around her. After several minutes, she stopped. She realized that she wasn't sure whether she was on the path or not at this point. As she stood there alone, she felt a presence right behind her. She spun around and saw Arihana there. He was pointing a shotgun at her head. He looked straight into her eyes and said, You die now. She screamed no and grabbed the barrel of the gun with her left hand, trying to wrestle it away. He quickly overcame her, and she wound up face down on the ground with him on her back. He grabbed her long blonde hair and used it to bang her head into the floor. Somehow she managed to get her right hand on the trigger of the gun, but the safety was on, so no shot was fired. He began to choke her. She felt darkness closing in on her. I no longer felt like fighting, she thought to herself. I've lived my life. I lived my dream, and okay, fine. But at that same moment, Arihano released her, allowing her to take in some beautiful, life-giving air. He seemed to have become distracted, because next... She felt his hands reaching under her shirt for her breasts. He then reached down into her pants. She could smell his hot, smoky breath. She then felt him orgasm as he grinded against her. Heike began to hyperventilate. She thought she was going to faint. At this point, Arihano seemed almost kind. Breathe deeply, he said, and then brought a water bottle to her lips so that she could drink. She began to calm. She tried to reason with him. She said, You're a good man. You aren't like this. If you want money, go to our boat. We have a lot of cash. He ignored her, but instead made her sit with her back against a tree. He tied her neck to the trunk and her arms behind her and the tree. She became convinced that he was going to kill her with his machete. At this point, she just wanted it to be over and wished she could kill herself just to end things. He didn't do what she thought he would. Instead, he stuffed an old t-shirt into her mouth and walked off down the trail towards the beach. She immediately tried to untie herself. By this time, the moon had risen over the island, but under the shadow of the jungle, it was pitch black, and she couldn't see what she was doing. Suddenly, he was back yelling at her, only inches from her face. He made slashing motions with his hands across his throat. He tightened her ropes even tighter and stalked off once more. This time she waited for a few minutes before twisting around, eventually working her way loose and untying the ropes. She stood up, daring to take a few steps. The sounds of twigs under her feet 
sounded like explosions. She wondered if she should just hide. She then saw the blinking and bobbing of a flashlight as it moved through the brush toward her, and she ran. She ran as fast as she could, branches slicing at her arms and legs. She lost one shoe and then the other, her feet getting cut as she continued to run. She thought, surely, that he was catching up with her. Then suddenly she could smell citrus and recalled that she and Stefan had picked limes from some trees at the edge of the jungle the day before. She ran forward, out into the moonlit beach. She ran straight into the ocean and dove in. She could see her home, the Baja, but was afraid Arihana would come to her, so she swam to a second boat that was a little closer and that had only dropped anchor in the bay earlier that afternoon. It was further away than it looked, and she was running out of energy. Not only that, but it was dark and her wounds were bleeding. She was afraid the blood might draw sharks, as there were plenty in the bay. A sound broke through her splashing. A friend from the boat was calling her name. She reached the boat and climbed aboard, finally feeling safe. The police were called immediately and arrived two hours later. They searched the jungle through the night, but didn't find either of the men. They ended up searching the jungle for two full days. Finally, Heike was called to the gendarmerie in the main village on Nukahiva. The gendarmes were standing, waiting for her in the silent room. She knew immediately that the news wasn't good. They told her that they had found a large bonfire that had human remains in the ashes. They believed the remains were Stefan's. Heike was thrust into international news when the media found out that a European sailor had been killed on a South Sea island. All the old tales of cannibalism were brought to the forefront. Headlines read, Holiday Horror on Cannibal Island. But police insisted that there was no proof that the remains were cannibalized. Locals were quoted as saying, We prefer hot dogs to people these days. If the islanders sold a shirt that said that, I would definitely buy it. The islanders were insulted by the media's implications and felt solidarity with Arihano, despite the evidence that showed he was likely the killer. The island was only 130 square miles, but Arihano was able to elude authority for several weeks. The terrain was full of canyons and mountains, and despite men on the ground and in the air, he was nowhere to be found. The police soon realized he had been getting help from someone. Arihana was a well-liked man and he belonged to a well-known family. His father was a leader in the island's influential Catholic Church. One of his cousins was a prominent Polynesian politician and was the girlfriend of the five-term president. On an island with over 2,000 residents, word spread about how this sly Marquesian warrior was able to outfox the French gendarmes. Stories began to spread about how he had hidden in the island's center and then sped northwest to the barren Terre Desert, picking guavas and building goat traps in order to secure food. He crept along old paths at night, hiding from the authorities, and even jumped into a river, breathing through a reed as searchers passed right by him. He became a bit of a hero said a Polynesian guide, sort of like Robin Hood. The police never captured him. 
he ended up turning himself in after seven weeks, saying he didn't want to live as a fugitive. He admitted that he had killed Stefan, but that it was in self-defense. It was an explanation that no one expected. He said he shot Stefan because the man had raped him. The defense scoured Stefan's background for any hint of homosexuality, but there was nothing to be found. In 2012, they asked Arihano to participate in a reconstruction of the murder. Heike was also asked to attend. So she found herself walking into the jungle, the same jungle that she had run out of in order to save her own life. She had a plethora of lawyers and lawmen following Arihano to a place in the jungle where he claimed the killing happened. He said that Stefan had stopped to check out a small waterfall while Arihano built a smoky fire to ward off mosquitoes. When Stefan came to the fire, he offered Arihano some alcohol. Arihano began to feel woozy. Two policemen tried to act out the scene as Arihano described it, but were unable to do so. He was saying that even though Stefan was considerably smaller and lighter than Arihano, Stefan was somehow able to wrestle the rifle away from Arihano. He then tied one of Arihano's legs high up into a tree with one hand as he never put the gun down. Arihano passed out and was raped, but as he came to, he saw that Stefan had left the gun on the ground. Arihano took that opportunity to grab the gun and shoot Stefan, who conveniently fell and rolled right into the fire. Then, somehow, Arihano managed to free himself from the tree. He went on to say that when it came to Heike, it wasn't kidnapping or rape, it was just a miscommunication. Since they didn't speak the same language, he was just trying to show her, by acting it out, what had happened between him and Stefan. The prosecution said his explanations are totally impossible. Even Arihano's lawyer said that he felt that he had doubts about the story that was laid out before them. James Lejos, whose article in GQ is called The Last Sale of Adventure Seekers, was my primary source for this article. It's so well written. He flew down to Nukahiva. What he found may be the reason for the murder. He learned that one of the Marquesan translators he was using was one of the neighbors of Arihano's and was one of his best friends when growing up. This man's name was Richard. Richard helped make introductions to friends, neighbors, co-workers, and hunting buddies of Arihano. According to all accounts, Arihano was not violent. He wouldn't have killed Stefan for a trivial reason. A woman they spoke with called Nadine said that when Arihano worked security with her at events, he was very good at breaking up fights peacefully. He wouldn't punch back when punches were thrown. Locals laughed at the idea that the murder might have been part of a planned out robbery, as Arihano was not materialistic at all. He was not problem free, however. He had always struggled to find work and had just lost his girlfriend of five years. She had recently found out that Arihano was cheating on her and took a job in Tahiti, which was miles away. He reportedly said that the love of his life was gone. He was now unemployed and didn't have her financial support either, so he had to move back in with his father at age 31. His return home may have been traumatic to him, 
as Arihano complained to a friend that his father had beaten him when he was younger. Another acquaintance said that the beatings in his household were severe. His father denied that he beat any of his seven children. Heike told reporters that she had the impression that Arihano was clearly lying about Stefan, but she felt like the homosexual sex was something he had experienced firsthand. The men of Nukahiva were thick, muscled, glowering men who were the epitome of masculinity. They would shout, pound on drums, and act out beheadings in their dances. Even the nickname of the Marquesas celebrated the warrior type. It was Tehuna Inana, which means the land of men. Arihano fit right in. With a strong physique and tattoos, he fit the image of the warrior. When Richard, the translator, was asked if Arihano liked men, he said no. When Arihano's father was asked, he also said no. In fact, he said, how can he be making love with men if ladies are coming to him and saying, this baby is yours? People are complicated. The islanders are no different from the rest of us. The island has a small community of men called Rere, or men who live as women. Richard took the journalist to visit one of them, whose name was Romeo. It was said that there are about 25 openly gay people on the island, but that there were many more men who were closeted or who were bisexuals. He said he didn't think that Arihano was one of them, and as the journalist turned to leave, thinking they had hit a dead end, Romeo said, You should probably talk to my friends, and named two people. He went on to say, A gendarme was up here from Tahiti a couple weeks ago, asking why their numbers were on Arihano's phone. The journalists got in touch with the two friends who were Ray Rays. One of them said matter-of-factly that he called Arihano because he wanted to have sex with him. The other said it was well known in their circle that Arihano sometimes had sex with men on the island. The secret was well kept from his family and other friends. He preferred the macho image that he had cultivated. Certainly, his father, who was predominant in the church, would not approve. One of the women said, quote, Arihano could never say in front of the police or his father that he liked to sleep with men. Clearly, sex was connected to the murder. Arihano didn't have a hair-trigger temper, according to family and friends, but what the death of Stefan did show had classic signs of a homicide where the killer is driven to kill by an intense rush of emotion. Perhaps something happened that triggered a deep emotional response that came from feelings of inadequacy. Maybe it was a feeling he had been feeling for a long time that was unfortunately and likely unintentionally triggered by the victim. Arihano said that he and Stefan had stopped at a waterfall during the hunt. Heike mentioned that Stefan rarely passed the opportunity to swim in fresh water and often did so naked. Perhaps Arihano misinterpreted the nudity or something he did or said as flirtation. Perhaps it was sharing the alcohol. Maybe Arihano made a move and was rudely rejected. Many Marquesans feel that foreigners are promiscuous, and that is encouraged by some of the tourists who show up each year. An American woman said that she and her husband had been aggressively propositioned by a local man a couple months before Stefan's death. The island population is small, and there are more men than women, so it's difficult for men to find romantic partners. 
they would often attempt relations with tourists who would only be a fling. Perhaps that is what was being attempted by Arihano. If he killed Stefan because of this rejection, perhaps his attack on Heike was made to reassert his dominance and manliness. When Heike saw Arihano for the last time, she asked him if Stefan said anything to him before he was killed. The answer she wanted was a reassurance of Stefan's love for her, but Arihano's response was that he had been quiet. He said he could tell Stefan was afraid to die because he could see his pulse beating in a certain spot in his neck. Heike knew exactly what he was talking about, as she had seen that nervous pulse many times in the past. She said this meant that Arihano had to be close enough to see that spot, and that he took some time to study Stefan before he killed him. That was as close to a confession as she would get. She believed he would never tell the truth, because he wouldn't be able to live on the island ever again if he did. She said, after the hearing, all she saw in his face was pain and remorse. She has written a book in German called The Blue Water Life about her experience. She still loves to travel and believes that socializing with everyone, not just tourists, still feels right to her. However, her faith in how much she can learn or trust people has crumbled. Arihana was given 18 years in prison for the murder and rape of his two victims. I'd like to close today by thanking a few people for their kind words. Thanks to Danielle O, who says she has listened to all the episodes and is really enjoying the podcast because it's really something different. Thank you so much, Danielle. Teresa W says she recommends Twisted Travel and True Crime because the host has a soothing voice and tells a story in a good speaking voice. Thank you, Teresa. I'd also like to thank Larry G., Christy S., and Chrissy S. for her your kind words on social media as well. You guys are the best. If you have enjoyed today's case, please take a moment to give a five-star rating and leave a nice comment or maybe share the podcast with a friend. I would really appreciate your time. You can find Twisted Travel and True Crime on social media, including Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can also reach me by email at twistedtravelandtruecrime at gmail.com. I'd love to hear some of your travel or true crime stories, and maybe I could even include them on the podcast. Thanks again, and as always, I'd like to wish you all fair winds and following seas.